Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Today, our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, looks at the dangers of modern-day Calvinism, and Josh Davis will give us an inside look at the latest prophecy in the news magazine. As we're getting closer to Christmas, be sure and visit the gift section of our website, swrc.com. There you'll find gifts from Israel, as well as books, DVDs, and our brand new calendar focusing on unseen Israel. All of these items will inform and encourage your family and friends. Visit swrc.com today. That's swrc.com. Every day the return of the Lord draws closer. The need for evangelism and outreach is at the utmost highest. Yet, the growing popularity of five-point Calvinism, TULIP, has had a chilling effect on many. A new breed of Calvinist is rising with disastrous effects. With the details, here's Dr. Kenneth Hill and Dr. Larry Spargimino. Larry Spargimino is with us. We want to talk about one of your latest books, Calvinism on Trial. Why did you write a book, Calvinism on Trial? Primarily because of the increasing popularity of Calvinism, and it is having a very negative effect on the church. Proponents of Calvinism are generally articulate. They make a very strong case for Calvinism. There are some verses and arguments that they use quite convincingly. Many Christians, you know, can often do not agree with Calvinism, but they just don't know how to defend against it. So my book is designed to equip them to understand some of the faulty presuppositions behind Calvinism. And I also examine some of the pet verses that Calvinists use to teach Calvinism. Well, you need to help all of us understand what is Calvinism? Calvinism gets its name from John Calvin, who taught that God predestinates some people to heaven. And because God only predestinates some people to heaven, Jesus Christ died for them and for no one else. Calvinists do not believe it is correct to tell a lost person God loves you and has a plan for your life. That's not true for everyone, according to Calvinism. There are some people whom God does not love. Calvinists believe in the bondage of the will. In other words, there is no such thing as free will. The human will is bound they say. And because of the bondage of the will, no person can choose Christ. They have to be chosen by God. So the only people who are saved are those who have been predestinated to be saved, those who are the elect are regenerated even before they're born, and they are irresistibly drawn to the Savior. And so because they and they alone have already been regenerated, they alone believe on Jesus Christ and are saved. Calvinism is the opposite of Arminianism. Calvinism stresses the sovereignty of God. Arminianism stresses human choice. Now, I believe that both Calvinism and Arminianism, they're both incorrect. And I know a lot of people will say, well, if you're not a Calvinist, you must be an Arminian. No, no, no. I'm not an Arminian. When you talk about Calvinism, Oftentimes, people seem to get their hackles up. They become concerned. They act like there's a problem that either because you think they are or they're not Calvinist. Is that a response that you see? 
Absolutely. It happens quite often. In fact, there's so much confusion about Calvinism that that's one of the reasons I've written the book. As you know, I was a Reformed Baptist for many years and also a Reformed Presbyterian pastor for many years. So I know something about the issues, and I really hope that this book would educate. The book is Calvinism on Trial. What's the subtitle of the book? This tulip, T-U-L-I-P, has thorns. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now let's talk about the word tulip. What's that all about? There are five letters in tulip, T-U-L-I-P. The T stands for total depravity. All Christians believe in human depravity, but Calvinism gives it an added twist. Total depravity means total inability. Fallen man has no ability to believe. No one has free will. Only the elect believe and are saved because only the elect are regenerated. The U stands for unconditional election. The elect are not chosen because they have met some prior condition. God's choice is not because of anything that God sees in man. God's choice is not even based on foreseen faith. His choice of some is purely based on his decision. In other words, election is unconditional. Then the L in TULIP stands for limited atonement, which is also particular redemption. Jesus Christ did not shed his blood for everyone. Jesus Christ did not die to make it possible for everyone to be saved. Jesus shed his blood, according to this position, only for the elect, and he did that to guarantee that they would be saved. The I in TULIP stands for irresistible grace. The elect are irresistibly drawn to the Savior. They cannot reject salvation. As a matter of fact, they don't even want to reject salvation. They have already been regenerated and saved in times past. In the Calvinist scheme of things, regeneration precedes faith. So, of course, those who are born again will come to the Savior. And the P in TULIP stands for the perseverance of the saints. If you're truly saved, you will persevere in living the Christian life. So if you've done a lot of good things and are continuing to do good things, then you can have assurance of salvation. That's why Calvinists like to use the term perseverance of the saints rather than eternal security. It is only those who persevere in the Christian life, only they can have assurance. Now, someone once said, Arminians know that they're saved, but they're afraid they can't keep it. Calvinists know they cannot lose their salvation, but they're afraid they do not have it. So the perseverance of the saints says that your assurance is based on your works. And I have a whole section on that. I think that's a rather dangerous belief. So if you're not doing the works that you think you ought to be doing, then you don't have a proof of salvation? Right. The proof is in the fact that you're doing a lot of good things. And you and I well know that sometimes the best of us, even Paul in Romans 7, was not doing a lot of good things. I think assurance is a very delicate and a very critical issue. And sometimes souls who are very perspective and introspective You know, they can think they're really terrible people. In fact, I've got a quote from R.C. Sproul in Table Talk where he speaks about he feels like he's lost. He said when he thought of that, there was a dark chill that went down his back, and he didn't know what to do, and so on and so forth. But 
For Calvinists, that's a good thing. If you feel you might be lost, that's a good thing because you're serious about salvation. Now, for the Calvinist, if you're happy, if you're joyous, if you're laughing and rejoicing in Christ, you are considered a theological lightweight. Now, the reason I know something about that, because my mentor was a Reformed Baptist. I spent many years with him. He was always very depressed. And the reason was he was dealing with some issues, and he thought, well, he might not have been saved. And I can tell you, the whole congregation, there was a dark shadow that settled on them. It was very disconcerting. So I think the issue of assurance is a very, very critical issue. In the P section of the book, I deal with that at length. Well, I noticed that in years gone by, people like D. James Kennedy were Calvinist, and yet they were evangelists as well. Haven't there been Calvinists who were used by God to bring revival, whether it be someone such as Kennedy or Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, or even Charles Haddon Spurgeon? Weren't they Calvinists, and weren't they used of God to bring the gospel? That's a great question, and a lot of people ask it. Now, it's true that Edwards, Whitfield, Spurgeon all claim to be Calvinists, And yet these men were not consistent Calvinists. Now, in my book, I have quotes from these men, and they sometimes said things that consistent Calvinists would not say. In fact, in some of Spurgeon's invitations, he sounds like Billy Graham. Even John Calvin himself made some statements about John 3.16 and the Bible's use of the word world, cosmos, that do not sound very Calvinistic. As best as I can tell, it was some of Calvin's followers, some of the next generation Calvinists who developed tulip theology into a very rigid theological system, some of Jonathan Edwards' sermons, some of George Whitfield's statements, some of Spurgeon's statements. They claimed to be Calvinists, but they certainly did not cling to that very rigorously. In fact, some of the Calvinists claimed that Spurgeon wasn't even a good Calvinist. And I think that's the way they got around it. Sure, God is sovereign, but in their appeal, they appeal to lost people, that Jesus loves them. And they said that in a very indiscriminate way, the way I would and the way you would, because we know that God loves all people. Indeed, the love that God has for the lost, is that a major portion of the truth that Calvinism purports? Calvinism would say that God's love is only limited to the elect. You know, in Vacation Bible School, we used to sing, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Well, for the Calvinist, you can't say that because you don't know that Jesus loves all the children of the world. You know, you and I have been in Honduras. I've been to Pakistan. There are thousands and thousands of little boys and girls. So no, my heart goes out to them because I believe that Jesus' heart goes out to them as well. Well, now, what do you hope will happen as a result of your book? And what do you hope to accomplish by its publication? My primary focus is to help Christians who are confronted with the claims of Calvinism and who, quite frankly, don't have an answer. I want to help them. I want to give them an answer. Calvinists are very committed to their position. They are armed for close debate, and quite frankly, most Christians today are not ready to debate the issues. 
While many Christians do not agree with TULIP theology, they don't know why they don't agree with TULIP. I think there are some really good reasons for not agreeing with TULIP theology, and I want to share those reasons. And, you know, many Christians, when they are confronted by a Calvinist, will refer to 2 Peter 3.9, and they will say, well, doesn't the Bible say that God is not willing that any should perish? And immediately— The response from the Calvinist will be, well, God is not willing that any of the elect should not perish. And I would have to point out that the word elect is not in the verse. This is one of those examples where they are reading their Calvinism into the verse to make it fit with their theology. I would also point out that Peter is writing, quote, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us. That's from 2 Peter 2, verse 1. Peter is writing to believers. And God is not willing that believers should perish. It's also possible that Peter is speaking about the scoffers that Peter mentions in 2 Peter 3, verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. So I think usually when a non-Calvinist is approached, they get some of these verses thrown at them, Romans 9, Ephesians 1, 4. John 6.44, I have a big section on John 6.44 and that whole section from verse 40 on, and they really don't know what to say. So I'm hoping to give them some ammunition and the ability to intelligently discuss this whole system of theology. We're talking with Pastor Larry Spargimino about his book, Calvinism on Trial. And this book is available through the Watchman on the Wall broadcast, you can call us at 1-800-652-1144. That's 800-652-1144. Or you can go on our website at swrc.com and purchase the book, swrc.com. Let's think for just a minute, if we may, Larry, about the confused Christian. And this confused Christian might be old or young, but the confused Christian thinks of themselves as a biblicist, and occasionally they're confronted by Calvinism, and they cannot quite put it all together. How do we do that? How do we put it together? I think the first place to start is with the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Calvinists believe that they're the only ones who honor the sovereignty of God. That, I think, is an erroneous notion because everybody says they agree that God is sovereign, not just the Calvinists. Now, the difference, however, is that the Calvinist has a particular slant on the sovereignty of God. And I think what the Bible teaches is that, indeed, God is sovereign, but God is free to set the rules. And in his setting of the rules, in his sovereignty, and I'm speaking about a sovereign God, he has determined that faith is extremely important. He has given to human beings the ability to make a decision without compromising his sovereignty, because this was God's idea in the first place. And Ken, I like to think of a prison warden who said, okay, whoever does a number of good works, good things, doesn't have any strikes against them, he can 
be released six months earlier than his full sentence. So somebody does what's required, and he gets released six months earlier than was initially determined. Now, does that mean that the prison warden did not establish the rule and that the prisoner changed the rule? No. The warden gave him that right, that freedom. And I think that's exactly what we see in the Bible. There is that sense where God said, okay, your destiny is in your hands, and that's the way I'm going to do it. And that's really, I think, a basic definition of divine sovereignty. God is the one who sets the rules. And when he sets the rules, our theology might not agree with the rules, but hey, let's face it, he's the one who set the rules. And if we really believe in the sovereignty of God, he's the one who sets the rules and calls the shots. And he says, you know, if you believe, you will be saved. If you reject the gospel, you will be damned. That's God's will. Do you have to understand Calvinism and Arminianism and biblical theology and all these other things to come to faith in Christ? Absolutely not. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's very basic. However, there are people who muddy the waters. That's the problem. We have to be ready to give an answer because these five pointers, they come into churches and they split churches, churches that had six or 700 people, pretty soon they're whittled down to about 30. And I think that's very sad. So to be saved, believe. But then as a saved Christian, as a disciple, you're going to be confronting a lot of issues. And I think one of the issues will be Calvinism. Dr. Spargemina will share more details on the Kamikaze Calvinist on our next program. Dr. Spargemino lays out why he believes the growing popularity of five-point Calvinism is dangerous and critically hurts the need for evangelism and outreach in his book, Calvinism on Trial. This tulip has thorns. In Calvinism on Trial, Dr. Larry Spargemino reveals how unsuspecting pastors and church leaders are confronted with a theology of inevitability. What will be, will be. So what's the use? Dr. Spargemino shows how this theology is dangerous and has a chilling effect on evangelism. Order Calvinism on Trial today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order on our website, swrc.com. Calvinism on Trial by Dr. Larry Spargemino. 1-800-652-1144. The response to our monthly magazine, Prophecy in the News, continues to be so encouraging. More and more people are subscribing so they can stay informed on the events of the day in light of Scripture. With a look inside the pages of the latest issue, here is Josh Davis. I'm privileged to be joined in the studio by our Prophecy in the News magazine editor, Lise Cutshaw. Lise, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for allowing me to join you. We're going to be previewing issue number 18 of the Prophecy in the News magazine. And the theme of this magazine deals with the mysteries of God and Jesus, and it also reflects on the year 2023. Lise, what are some of the kinds of content that, I know that's a a very broad (laughs) spectrum of things that we're covering, but what's the kinds of things that are included in this issue of the magazine? Well, we take on, with the help of great authors, mysteries from the Bible. We've got mysteries of Jesus, 
From Genesis to Revelation by Donna Howell and Tom Horn. It's a three-book set, and John Ruiz is writing an article based on that. Can't wait to find out the mysteries that they say are woven into the Old and New Testaments and the end times. Mystery is kind of the theme of the first part of the magazine because we also have The Mysteries of God by Rob Linstead. Mm -hmm. And he is known for his very in-depth, prophetic, related preaching, teaching, and he covers 11 mysteries in a DVD set. And we have talked with him on SWRC Watchmen on the Wall. And we'll share some of those 11 mysteries with our readers. We also have the Trinity from the Old Testament by Larry Stamm, who is a Jewish believer in Christ and an evangelist. And this should be very revealing in many ways, helping us better understand the multifaceted, multidimensional being that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are, and how complex they are, and yet how accessible they are. And that's a very big topic in and of itself, but I see a quote here that he says, whatever our paradigm of God is, he is bigger. And it's easy to get that uh, small view of God, and I think that's what really limits a lot of people's faith in not trusting the Lord more and more and more. So I'm glad that Larry is writing that. He's a close friend of ours and a good ministry colleague that we can work together with on many projects. I see that we have a couple other articles that we're highlighting in this edition of Prophecy in the News magazine. We do. Clayton Van Hus, who is an archaeological graduate student and also heading up a new section of SWRC on apologetics and archaeology. He has a bit of, I don't want to say tongue-in-cheek, but there's always a little wink or some humor in his articles. Mm -hmm. And his article for this particular magazine is that there's not only no room at the inn, but there was no inn in Bethlehem. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to spoil that for anybody, but... Yeah, and that's fascinating. The word that's translated in, especially in the King James Bible and stuff, has led people to develop a whole viewpoint of what it would be like for Mary and Joseph to come, and there's a gruff innkeeper that's standing at the door. (laughs) You can't come in here. And so I think that if I understand it correctly, he's going to really be revealing, is that what Scripture actually says? Am I right in that? Is that yes, kind of... I think he might change our minds about that particular story okay. of, from Christmas time. We want to be thoroughly biblical. We want to understand what God's Word says and what God's truth says. So we certainly want to take a close look at that. Looks like we also have another article from Pat Franklin, a close colleague of ours as well. Can you explain a little bit about that one? Yes, Pat is an American, but she lives in and near London in England with her husband, Alan, and they have written a number of books. Mm -hmm. They have a news website that is now Christian-based, although Alan has worked in mainstream media for many years as well. 
thought-provoking articles, every single one of them informing articles, and that's what we want to do. Equip you with the knowledge that you need, friends, to understand God's truth in these times that we live and understand what's going on in the world around us. And that's why I wrote the article that I included in this edition of the magazine. It was my top 10 list of the prophecy-related events of 2023, and I was able to share some of those things. Now, I don't have time to unpack all 10 of those on today's program in this short segment with the time that we have left, but let me leave you with my top five for the year 2023. Some of the most important stories that we saw happen during this year according to Bible prophecy. Uh, One of the things that I point out for number five is that Amazon won and there was other breakthrough biometric devices that came on the scene during this year. I could go into a lot of detail, and I do go into a lot of detail about that in the article, but across the world there was various technologies that were launched this year to help us understand how things are moving towards a one-world system, a cashless society. All of that came into a clearer focus during this year, 2023. Number four, I listed as the UN's midterm exam, and I've spoken about Mm -hmm. that here on Watchmen on the Wall. Uh, They have that Agenda 2030. They met in September 23 in preparation for an even bigger meeting in 2024, And And failed their exam, right? Yes, they are. They are failing their exam with flying colors. They admitted it's only about 15 percent, 15, not 50, but 15 percent towards their goals, these sustainable development goals that they have set for themselves. So number three, the Abrahamic family house opened back in March of this year. You know, in the UAE, in the middle of a Muslim-majority country, We see this property, I think it points to a one-world system of worship when you consider it has a Roman Catholic church, a Muslim mosque, a Jewish synagogue, all on the same property, and also commons areas for people of all faiths or no faith to come and to worship there. Number two, we witnessed the rise of artificial intelligence, and it really burst onto the scene with ChatGPT and all these other AI platforms, AI art. AI audio, so much that is accessible now through AI. Number one, of course, on everybody's minds, I think, has to be the war in Israel that broke out and the prophecy-related materials to that. I don't have time to get into that, but that's the top five of my top 10 list. Lise, do you have anything as we wrap up our time together today? Well, I just hope everyone will get this magazine so that they can get the rest of your top 10, because I'm dying to know the rest of them. And I'm sure that they are, too. And thank you for keeping your finger on the pulse of what's going on out there right now. Well, thank you, Lise. And once again, friends, you can subscribe to the Prophecy in the News magazine by going to prophecyinthenews.com or calling us at 1-800-652-1144. In the book Calvinism on Trial, Dr. Larry Spargimino reveals how unsuspecting pastors and church leaders are confronted with a theology of inevitability. Dr. Spargimino shows how this theology is dangerous and has a chilling effect on evangelism. Order Calvinism on Trial today when you call 1-800-652-1144. You can also order Calvinism on Trial at our website, swrc.com. Tomorrow, Dr. Spargimino will share more details and evidence 
he believes shows why current-day Calvinism is dangerous for evangelism and the outreach of the gospel. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app, by visiting oneplace.com, or by simply subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Please visit our website, swrc.com.